now we're to Horror Court Trash Over the Shirts because it's all the masterpieces and trash to pieces of genre cinema. I'm Gary. And I'm Chris. Oh. Oh. Well. Wow. <laughs> so last week we spoke about something pretty fucking weird. Can you tell we didn't practice that bit? <laughs> we spoke about something really fucking weird last week. We spoke about Rock and Roll High School. Um, but this week we've, we've outdone ourselves. Um, and we are... Discussing one of the most bizarre films I've ever seen in my life. It's one of those films where when it ends, you're like, huh? What? Um, the epitome of how did this get made? Yeah. Really? What? With the cast, I think, I feel. I feel like the famous faces make it even more confusing. <laughs> yeah. Um, we're, of course, talking about. Sextet. Yes, released in 1977, uh, directed by Ken Hughes, who directed Night School. Honestly, one of the better video nasties. So, yeah, and it, well, it, I mean, it gets more bizarre. Alfie Darling, Chitty Chitty Bang Bang, uh, the original Casino Royale, Drop Dead Darling of Human Bondage, The Trials of Oscar Wilde, Jazz Boat, The Long Haul, The Atomic Man, Wide Boy, and the Wide list goes boy. on. Yeah, um, British director. Yeah. Um, yeah, Night School was a good slasher film. Like, really not very well-known slasher film. Let's face it, though. Uh, he may be in the director's chair, but I think someone else may have been directing the director. Yes. This is written by Herbert Baker, who wrote The Jazz Singer, Hammerhead, uh, The Ambushers, Murderers Row, Loving You, The Girl Can't Help It, Scared Stiff. Uh, Jumping Jack, so this is New York and lots more. But it is also based on the play and also starring Mae West. Mae West. Who you may know from She Done Him Wrong, I'm No Angel, Going to Town, My Little Chickadee, Myra Breckenridge, Ballad of the 90s, etc, etc. Um, yeah, icon. Yeah, yeah. In terms of screen actresses, she she is an icon. Um, probably not so much today, but really well recognised. Um, very much a precursor to someone like Marilyn Monroe. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, a precursor to Madonna. Yeah, no, of course. You know, yeah. so many, so many people are influenced by Mae West. Um, she, uh, infamously wrote <clears throat> plays. Uh, one of which was called Sex, and she got sent to prison for it. She did. She did a, a you know a fair bit for the LGBTQ plus community, um, creating a play full of gay men and drag queens. Um, yeah, she's just, she's just a great person that was so ahead of her time, uh, so sex positive in the thirties and forties. You know something that's so refreshing to see when you watch her films from back then. Um, you know she just didn't give a shit. She just didn't give a shit. And you know after she was arrested and thrown in prison by uh, many religious people, um, she just came back stronger. And she, you know she started starring in films. The Hayes Code set her back uh, a little bit. But then again, you know, you get something like My Little Chickadee where the Hayes Code's in place and she still 
saying every word but fuck, but meaning, you know, she's got all her innuendos in place. Yeah, yeah. So to, to understand something like Sextet, and we're obviously going to go through the film, you have to understand who Mae West was yeah. as a person. Um, she was very much a... Um, had a screen persona, which by all accounts... Was still true in real life. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, her she did quite a lot in terms of films in a short amount of time. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was mainly during the thirties that she was at her height. Yeah. Um, she wrote plays, mm-hmm. films that very successful plays. Um, the films were based on these plays, yeah. and she would have writing credit. And by all accounts she would have control of every single aspect of the film. Mm-hmm. Her films made really great money, saved Paramount as a studio in the early 30s, and therefore it allowed her to have three, free reign over the production of these films. The Hayes Code came in, and the racier elements of her films had to be scaled back. And those racier elements, which were her bread and butter, mm. they because they were scaled back, her films weren't as successful Yeah, going on. And then she kind of left Hollywood. Uh, she did return in Myra Breckenridge, but she kind of focused more on the Broadway plays. And Sextet is based on a Broadway play. Yeah. That she wrote from the 60s. Um, With all due respect to Mae West, her films and plays are quite formulaic. Yeah. They very much revolve around her being a sex symbol, being, um, I mean, followed by men (laughs) everywhere she goes. Uh, many men chasing her and her deciding which of these men by the end of the film that she would like to be with <laughs> essentially yeah and they, they take part you know some of them are westerns one takes part of the circus but essentially those are the films um yeah. she had a real great wit she um could deliver a witty one-liner like no one else, full of innuendo. And Sextet is kind of all-encompassing of Mae West as a screen icon. Yeah, so, I mean, Mae West is in a different film throughout. Um, she she is in a Mae West film. Everyone else were just on a lot of drugs, clearly. Yeah. I th- including the director. I mean, how he came up with this from, you know, the the normal Mae West formula, I, I really have no idea. It's, yeah, it takes part in a different place. Let's talk about the elephant yeah. in the room. The elephant in the room is that Mae West was in her 80s when this film was made. No one else was. <laughs> So, the scenes are very awkward due to a big age difference. Let's be, you know, let's be clear. Oh, yeah, and... She didn't start her film career until she was 40. Yeah. 
Um, she did look younger, you know. And I don't say she doesn't look like she's in her 80s. Oh, no. But she, she doesn't look like she's in her 40s. No. It, it, she's up there. Acting styles changed a lot between when she was last in Hollywood, aside from Myra Breckenridge. When she was last in Hollywood, uh, between then and when she starred in Sex Tear, uh, you know, back then everyone was a bit, oh, 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 you know, that very classic Hollywood style of acting. Yeah. Um, but then this is clearly a 70s film and she looks like she's just jumped out of a time machine. Um, I mean, even in in the films in the 30s and 40s, she's still a unique presence that's still different to everybody else. Yeah. She even stood out then. But it was still within classic Hollywood, so there was still, you know, it it didn't feel too weird. This feels very, very weird. This is where, when you say that she's in a different film, it's... (laughs) The, the acting, her acting sc- style is so kind of old school that no one else in the film, because they're not old school actors, even no. someone like Tony Curtis, yeah. you know, he wasn't acting in the 30s, you know, they acting in a completely different way. Yeah. Um, I think the trivia will help us. Yes. Identify some well, other ways that her acting isn't <laughs> quite the same as everyone else's. I mean, first of all, the budget, um, no one can make their mind up online. It's somewhere between four million and eight million. Okay. Either way, that's fucking ridiculous. Yeah. For this. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> it looks like it's shot on what I can imagine a 70s version of a camcorder would look like. It made $50,000. Yeah. <laughs> Gigantic bomb. Yeah. Re- a real failure. Timothy Dalton uh, described the film as a sort of carnival, extremely special to do. Because Timothy Dalton's in this. Yeah, yeah, Timothy Dalton before um, playing James Bond. Yes, uh, playing a spy before James Bond. This yeah. clearly got him the role. Uh, <laughs> I think potentially. We'll, we'll get on to that. <laughs> Alice Cooper is in this. Yes. In a tuxedo. Uh, he recorded the piano ballad No Time for Tears for a scene in the film. Mae West rejected it, saying her character would never cry over the loss of a man. The song was ultimately replaced with the peppy disco number Next Next. No Time for Tears was included in the box set The Life and Crimes of Alice Cooper, but Next Next has never made it onto an album. Oh, I see. Um, But you see how Mae West pretty much had final say on everything. And she, you know, her screen persona was, I don't cry over men. Um, Marriage is for convenience at most. Yeah. Um, You know, she was always being chased. She never chased a man in her films. Um, Yeah, good honour. She's she's a force, an absolute force. Yeah. You know... To have written and starred in, you know, the, the, I mean, like, what, 12, 13 films? But, like, all of them, apart from Myra Breckenridge, she had the writing credit. Mm. She, she wrote these films and she had full control over what happened. All for the most her part. one-liners that have stood the test of time. Yeah. You know, we all make jokes that... We don't even attribute to her. And then yeah. we watch the films and we're like, oh, that's where that yeah. comes from. Yeah. You know, she wrote that. Yeah. 
Yeah, and when you think about it's how... Like Nicki Minaj. <laughs> yeah. Is it Nicki Minaj when she was on station? When you hear Nicki Minaj spit, <laughs> it's because Nicki Minaj wrote it. I mean, that that's wet. some comparison. Uh, um, <laughs> I don't think there's a huge difference, you know. We, we talk about a lot of like someone like Madonna. Elvira. Uh, Elvira, but we, we talk about... The, these women who have owned their sexuality yeah. and are very sexual and unapologetic mm-hmm. about it. Well, that started with on the big screen with Mae West. West. Yeah, and when you it think... was a revelation, yeah. you know, and she is in many ways a feminist icon because she, she you know, for the 1930s really broke ground yeah she really did and for you know for a woman in hollywood to have that much power mm. when you take into consideration how other women in hollywood are treated it's it's an absolute miracle an absolute miracle and it's it, we see it time after time with women in film is the idea that you know may west was a success mm. because of may west yeah she could call the shots because people went to see Mae West films because of Mae West. It's like, yeah. who, who are you going to, you know, who are you going to get to replace me? Yeah. You know, even more so, she wrote the fucking thing. Hey, she launched Cary Grant's career, so... Yeah, you know, but actresses like Betty Davis, yeah. you know, could turn around and say, I don't want to do this. Mm. Not as much as the men were able to, but turn around and say, I don't want to do this. Yeah. You know... People come to see me in those films. Yeah. So what are you going to do about it? You either have me in it or you're not making the film. Yeah. And, you know, for the 1930s, that's fabulous. Yeah, it really is. The press kit was issued with a pink cassette tape, like the one featured in the film, which included songs from the film, but the soundtrack has never been commercially released. Get me that pink cassette tape. Oh, really? Oh, <laughs> uh, Yeah. <laughs> Would you not love to listen to this soundtrack on a daily basis? Absolutely not. <laughs> no way. Um, there were countless script revisions, but 84-year-old Mae West had thick cataracts, which made reading practically impossible. A wireless earpiece was disguised by her wig, and director Ken Hughes watched from a glass booth speaking her lines, which she would then repeat. According to co-star Dom, De- Dom DeLuise, uh, West unwittingly uttered a bit of Hughes' direction that was intended for the director of photography. She laughed more than anyone else uh, as soon as she realised what she had done, DeLuise remarked. As word of this uh, gaffe spread on the set, it snowballed into the persistent rumour that she was repeating police radio transmissions <laughs> that were picked up by a wireless receiver. In scenes where she was required to walk, it was usually with a gentleman holding her arm, and sandbags were hidden off screen to prevent her from overstepping her marks. I mean, what a champ. God bless her. You know, she's got cataracts, and she's also wearing huge eyelashes. Yeah. So she yeah. mustn't have been able to see anything. Yeah. Um. It, this but does... she still acts like she does in the other films. It's not that she gives she a bad does... performance. No, not... She gives a Mae West performance. She gives a Mae West <laughs> performance, but it's very evident in many scenes she doesn't know where to look. Yeah. Um, Neither does anyone. <laughs> but she's... 
But more than anyone else, it's kind of like, are you talking to them, eh? Yeah. What's what's going on? You know, you're playing to the... Who are you, who are you singing to? Who, who is this addressing? Yeah. But, you know, she's got a shuffle. That Mae West shuffle, you know, and she didn't trip over a sandbag. She so that's good no, for her. She still shook those hips. <laughs> she did. Um, Arnold Schwarzenegger turned down the role of Sir Michael Barrington. Can you imagine? As he should. That makes I, no sense whatsoever. Can you imagine how great that would have been to watch? It would have been. Um, <laughs> Mae West was also famous for her love of muscle men. That's also something that comes up in the film. Speaking of, Mae West lip synced to a 1972 recording of Happy Birthday 21. Which was issued on her album, Great Balls of Fire. It's the only song on the soundtrack that's been officially released. Now, it's not quite the version in the film, is it? No, no. It's Happy Birthday Sweet Sixteen, where she sings about a fan who's been writing to her since he was 12. Uh, and because he turns 16, um, she get it on with him. Not sure that was the law, though. Um... <laughs> oh, is that the original song? Happy Birthday Sweet Sixteen. Is the original song. I thought she sung... So she changed it to Happy Birthday 21. She changed... Yeah, for the film. Just for the film, not her album. I... On the album itself, the only version available on Spotify, on our Now That's What I Call Horrible Trash of a Playlist, it's... It's her Happy Birthday Sweet 16, which I have now just learned. And by the way, a lot of the songs in this film are covers. Yeah. Happy Birthday Sweet Sixteen is a cover by Neil Sedaka. Now, I was about to give Mae West a bit of jip for the creepy lyrics. However... Oh, it's still creepy. It's creepy as fuck. Um, this is actually uh, written by someone else before her. But is this... Does that say about when you were 12? Uh, when you were only six, I was your big brother. Now, this is the original version, not Mae West's version. When you were only six, I was your big brother. Then, when you were 10, we didn't like each other. When you were 13, you were a funny Valentine. But since you've grown up, your future is sewn up. And from now on, you're going to be mine. That's fucking terrible. Oh, oh I don't like that. <laughs> you've grown up before my very eyes. Oh, good gracious. You turned into the prettiest girl I've ever seen. I was your big brother. Oh, happy birthday, sweet 16. Oh, jeez oh. Louise. Maybe let's change it around a little bit. She did. Um, <laughs> She's like, you're my biggest... Wasn't it biggest... Oh, well, uh, the Mae West anyway. lyrics. Um, uh, yeah, they're, they're ever so slightly different. Uh, and not available anywhere. But off the top of my head, it, it is... Uh, oh, when you were 12, you wrote me a letter. <laughs> when you were 16, I liked you better. <laughs> <laughs> when you were 20, there's only one year to go. Oh god, yeah. And now when you're 21, you can do more than drink beer and vote. <laughs> you have to be 21 to vote. I can't believe I just remember those lyrics off the top of my head. You've been singing them to me all day. I mean, it's fucking weird, but oh my god, is it camp. Um, you know, not excusing how predatory the song is. Um by both Mae West and the original artist. But the but... problem is, it, it, with, when Mae West <laughs> sings it, as Mae West sings anything, <laughs> it's about men chasing her. Yeah. I think that's why it's, it sticks out a little bit. Because it's like, 
You sound like you're chasing him. There is literally a song in this film. Now, take in mind, she wrote this fucking film. And all of her films include a dozen compliments paid to her by other characters that she has wrote herself. Yeah, yeah. Queen behaviour. There is a song in this film where the lyrics, again, another cover, uh, where the lyrics are like, oh, you'll look young forever, or something along those lines. But then, looking at the original lyrics, it was like, uh, you won't look young forever. (laughs) (laughs) Let's be clear here. Spoiler alert. She saves the world in this film. Let's get to that. Um, first of all, the, the film was a critical and commercial failure. Uh, when Crown International no. re-released it on the New York Midnight Movie Circuit in 1979, it was embraced by gay audiences of who dressed up as the characters and shouted lines at the screen. Uh, and it ran regularly in New York and California through the early 80s. Amazing. I would love to go to a screening of this. I, w- I would actually love that. I'll dress as uh, Alice Cooper in the bow tie. <laughs> I'll, uh, I'll be Dom DeLuise. <laughs> Not one of May West's iconic dresses, no? N- no. One of her many. They, I, would, I would probably walk worse than her. <laughs> when the play sex te- de- debuted in Chicago in 1961, it was riddled with disasters. Mae West came down with laryngitis and had to cancel the first three performances. Sound problems rendered portions of the premiere inaudible. Don't worry, the film's the same. And the supporting player kept flubbing, flubbing his lines. During the second so performance, uh, Alan Marshall... Yeah, that's on purpose. Alan Marshall, playing Sir Michael Barrington, suffered a heart attack. He died a few days later, which led to the cancellation of the next performance. With a script in hand, producer Henry Gortau uh, awkwardly took over the role for several performances... Jesus. Tom Conway flew in from New York to provide a, a, a new performance of the role, but he read the script, then promptly returned home. <laughs> Francis Bethencourt ultimately took the part and remained with the production as it toured the country. West revised the script numerous times, and while the show ultimately garnered acclaim, it never opened on Broadway. Right. Um, I don't understand how it garnered acclaim. <laughs> From who? Mae West. From who? <laughs> reviewing her own play. Um, unless the play is very different to the film. <laughs> Alice Cooper claimed on numerous occasions that Mae West sexually propositioned each of the movie's male co-stars, but his fans know that he's prone to lies and exaggeration. The producers hired several rock stars to try and attract a younger audience, and West was initially quite apprehensive, but she and Cooper had a mutual friend in Groucho Marx who took her to one of his concerts. West gradually warmed to Cooper and filming went off without a hitch. Apart from her, obviously, trying to get on with it, apparently. Yeah. Um, I'm not sure how true that would have been by that time. I, I, I hope it... I mean, you know, again, I'd hope it's true. Again, not in a predatory way, but in, in the Mae West way. Like, <laughs> I mean, you can imagine it going around to everyone. I mean, she's a little old lady, isn't she, <laughs> by this point? Let's be fair. Um, what do you think of the producers getting rock stars in to <laughs> try and cover awful a young idea. audience? Absolutely awful idea. Mae West has done nothing but chase down old rich white men her entire fucking career. And then all of a sudden, you know, th- there's, there's rock stars in this evidently younger than her that she's apparently married before. So come on, we're not stupid. This, um... The choice to have rock stars in the film 
but not have them perform rock songs. That's fucking weird. Is the weirdest part. Honestly, the Alice Cooper musical number, the first time I watched this, I didn't know what I was watching. It was the... It, honestly, we've uploaded it to our YouTube channel. Strangest thing you'll ever see. It's so, so fucking weird. It's... Like, no makeup. No. no Alice Cooper makeup. No. Nothing. He's in a fucking tuxedo. He just looks like a guy. With like backing dancers. Guy. Yeah. <laughs> Um, Alice Cooper, when did he get big? It would have been around that time. Would it have been sure around that it would time? Have been schools, schools out. Well, schools. Out. Of course, early, it was in. Yeah. It was in last week's film. Yeah, schools yeah. out. Yeah. Oh, there we go. I always, I always associate Alice Cooper with the eighties. I don't know why. Yeah. Well, because his best song was in the eighties. Well, but... yeah. Uh, on March 2nd, 1977, Daily Variety announced that Hugh Hefner had joined the cast. And he attended the second premiere screening precisely one year later, but his scenes were left on the cutting room floor. Good. Thank God. Yeah, we'll hear from there. Do you think he's part of the husbands that never get mentioned? Husbands one to one to three? Yeah, it's, it's likely. <laughs> Box office noted in January 1976 that Laurence Olivier, uh, David Niven... Niven. Niven. David Niven. Yeah. David Niven, what do we know him from? I've never heard that name David, prior to writing this trivia. David Niven, a very famous actor, won Best Actor Oscar for Separate Tables. Um, he was, you would know him from Death on the Nile. Oh, okay. From the 70s. Okay. He was the British guy that always hung around with Poirot. Oh, okay. David Niven. But yeah, well respected. Yeah, British perfect for this film. Uh, just like Alton John. Alton John. And Charlton Heston. Boo. Charlton Heston. Oh, yeah. Isn't yeah, he, we don't uh, like Charlton Heston. Yeah. Mm. Yes. Actually. <laughs> the apes should have killed him in the 60s. Maybe. Let's not get, Let's not get into who's cancelled and who's not. Uh, Laurence Olivier would have been a weird choice. Yeah. Uh, David Niven would have worked... Out and John would have worked would in have Alice worked Cooper's part. In Alice Cooper's part, <laughs> yes. Um, they're all signed on to co-star, and they all dropped out by the time filming commenced. This is the power of Mae West, though. Yeah. Like, this film, um, you know, it, it's shit. It is. The script is shit. Yeah. The screenplay is Shit. Yeah, no, make, make no mistake. We've said we've said a lot of nice things so far. We we are about to trash this. This is this is the so bad it's abysmal. This is so bad it's good. Let's be clear. It's this is a half star film. So bad. Uh, so bad. It's uh, good. Yeah. Just having Mae West's name though yeah. has brought in all this attention and these people. You know, someone like Tony Curtis. Yeah. You know who I would say gives the best performance of the film, mm-hmm. which isn't saying much, um, <laughs> but he put some effort into it. You know, just her name and her iconic status mm-hmm. drew these people in. Yeah, you know she's on the front, she's on the album cover for Sergeant Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band. Mm-hmm. You know she is a cultural icon. Yeah, um, and it's. <sighs> I don't know what word I want to use. It's either a shame or a triumph that this is her last film. Both. 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 <laughs> I mean, Trug is Joan Crawford's last film. Um, yes. I'm noticing a the theme here. What's... 
Holy shit. Next week we're covering Betty Davis's final film. Wicked Stepmother. Yes. That doesn't look like it's going to be much better. Um, yeah, it must just be a thing. A... Well, if... Uh, this uh, spoiler, A little bit of a spoiler alert. Um, but I'm compiling a list of classic Hollywood actresses' final films. Okay. Um, to see a pattern. Yeah. Um, and I've seen a pattern emerging mm-hmm. and will we have this on our social media we will sometime in the future cool yes uh one brother's optioned the rights to the 1961 play and then it got stuck in development hell for over a decade after an appearance in mara breckenridge uh renewed interest in her career west fought to get <laughs> the movie yeah west fought to get the movie made and eventually re-secured the rights the film was produced independently, but as a courtesy to the star, Warner Brothers bankrolled the world premiere screen in, in 1977. Um, yeah, I mean, let's face it. Mara Breckenridge, there's a whole other episode waiting for that film. Oh, uh, yeah. So absolutely. I'm not going to go too much into it, but I will say this. Mae West is the best thing about it. Her scenes, I'll, again, it's like a completely different fucking film. It's, her scenes are amazing. Like, she parodies sleazy casting couch guys from Hollywood. But she plays herself for the parody. It is... It is amazing. YouTube the scenes of her in. Yeah. They are great. And the rest of the film isn't actually as bad as people have you believe. But she was my favourite thing about it, for sure. Yeah. She's my second favourite. My favourite thing is the costumes. Oh, yeah, the costumes. Um, But... Mae West is a parody, though. Yeah. You know, she... Her comedy and her, you know, wit and the double entendres, all of that is a parody. Yeah. She's a parody of, you know, what a perfectly figured woman should be. Or a a sex symbol. Yeah. You know, she was that. Mm-hmm. But she was also a parody of it. You know, it, it's... She's in on the joke. Yeah. Um, which always brings, you know, a heart to it. And mm-hmm. a sincerity to it. And that not a lot of people can get away with. In Myra yeah. Breckenridge, that's evident. Yeah. Because she does, again, seems to be in her own film. Mm-hmm. But it works. Better. Yeah, I, I will go on record and say that the makers of Mara Breckenridge deciding to put Mae West in that film, playing herself, but as a parody of, uh, of, of sleazy casting couch guys, is a work of genius. It, it is genius. Yeah. It, seriously, it, it works so well. And it's not something you'd expect people to think of. Like, it's just... It stands. It really stands out. It, it's it's, it's a difficult one of the funniest things I've seen. It's I so funny. haven't read the novel. I'm dying to read the novel. I did the thing that I hate that I do is when I watch the film before I read the the book. Um, I don't know how the character of Letitia. Yeah. Um, funny story though. In the book, it's spelled L E T I T I A. Mm-hmm. But Mae West had it changed to L E T. ICIA because of the tit in the middle of it. Wow. 
Um, Ringo Starr remarked that he felt left out during the first day of shooting, but by the end of his second day, uh, he was sad to be done. No. I I was happy to see him go. It's by far the worst thing about this film. Oh, he was a non-entity. It can't be the worst thing about something when he's barely even doing anything. Um, when 84-year-old Mae West learned 52-year-old Tony Curtis, dad of Jamie, uh, had been cast, she was furious, feeling he was far too old to play one of her husbands. Uh, Again, Mae West, who has chased old, rich, white men throughout her career. Uh, <laughs> what was the film she turned down? Oh. 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 <laughs> She's in the room. Oh, she turned down a role that went to Barbara Stanwyck in an um, Elvis Presley film. Because she wasn't going to play the love interest. So she turned it down. Um, yeah, oh. Roustabout or something. It's got a really stupid name, you know. One, one of the throwaway Elvis uh-huh. films, apart from... Because it's starring Barbara Stanwyck. Um, but she was going to play the Barbara Stanwyck role. Um, but she found out that it wasn't a love interest, so she turned it down. And she she must have been about 30 years older than Elvis. Maybe even older than that. Uh, she first greeted Tony Curtis by asking if he was going to wear a wig to cover his bald spot. Once filming was underway... <laughs> She'd know her fucking wigs, wouldn't she? Once filming was underway, she admired his performance, and he, admi- and he admired her for enduring various physical challenges to shoot the film. I love that, that all these the stories. They have something in common. They start off with Mae West like, yeah, fuck this, I'm not filming with this guy. And then by the end of it, they're like, oh, we all got on really well. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, but by all accounts, she didn't always get on best with her co-stars. No. Um, Raquel Welsh and Myra Breckenridge, W.C. Fields. <laughs> um, I think she maybe didn't want... No, I'm gonna say it. She's she's dead, so she can't lie with me. She probably only got on with the actors she wanted to shag. Yeah. <laughs> so she probably didn't want to shag Tony Curtis, which is an insult because he's a very handsome man at any age. Um, but she probably didn't want to shag him because he was too old. She was like, then what do I need? What do I need him for? So I don't need to yeah. get on with him. The best chemistry I've seen Mae West have of anybody is uh, Cary Grant. Cary Grant. She discovered him because he was very attractive. Yeah. <laughs> so there we go. Okay. Um, uh, and finally, to promote the film, in the summer of 1977, there were giant pink billboards in Los Angeles declaring, Mae West is coming. There we go. Uh, Funny uh, getting into the film. Uh, on the day of her wedding to her sixth husband, a glamorous silver screen sex symbol is asked to intervene in a political dispute between nations, which then leads to chaos. So we start with uh, people chanting Wheel of Marlow. Yeah, we get some wedding bells and the crowd are chanting Wheel of Marlow. Um, Regis Philburn is covering the marriage. In England, uh, Regis Philburn, famous for Regis and Kathy Lee, um, how I don't know how to describe him in British terms, like Philip Schofield, and Holly Willoughby. 
Um, so he's like the Philip Schofield. Um, he sounds like Mae West. He does. He does a bit. Yeah. He's there covering the marriage in England of Marlo Manners. Manor or Manners? Manners. Manners. The greatest sex symbol the screen has ever known. <laughs> Very humble, Mae West. <laughs> um, we then get the hideous theme song. Yeah, she's married for the sixth time um, to her new husband, Sir Michael Barrington, played by Timothy Dalton. Yeah. Uh, they, yeah, they depart for a honeymoon suite at a posh and executive hotel. Uh, that has been reserved for them by her manager Dan Turner, played by Dom DeLuise. Uh, yeah, we we get to see them. Have you them anything to say about that? I'm getting to that. I'm getting to it. I I have a lot to say about it. Um, we get to see them drive to the hotel, uh, whilst lots of flag shaggers, uh, try getting their attention. Chris, define flag shaggers for our American listeners. Um, so a flag shagger is someone who prominently displays the British flag on their social media accounts <laughs> or outside their windows, um, particularly during um, times of seeming patriotic <laughs> um, <laughs> moments like jubilees or, or like Brexit votes uh, and such. Or like Timothy Dalton marrying Mae West. Yeah, apparently. and the uh, flag shagger, we, it suggests that they love Queen and Country so much and hate foreigners and foreign muck, as some of them call uh, foreign cuisine. Yes. They hate that so much. That they would like to put their penises through the flag and give it a good shag. Yeah, we are happy to confirm we are not flag shaggers. We're not flag shaggers. Um, um, it's weird <laughs> though, uh, for American listeners, I think there's, I think the American flag is displayed a lot more. Yeah. It's less weird than it is here. Uh-huh. Um, what is strange, though, is that the wedding car is travelling through London and all the spectators, flag shaggers, are waving American flags. <laughs> Did you not notice no. that? No, only saw the British ones. Um, there, was, there was like three or four British ones, but the majority of them, young British children mainly... <laughs> Flying American flags for Marlo Manners. <laughs> they definitely didn't know who was in that car. They, they absolutely told him it was no the Queen. No idea whatsoever. <laughs> uh, yeah, so whilst all this is going on, we get the opening credits and we also get Marlo's theme. By Van McCroy. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. If I remember correctly, did Rock the Boat. Yeah. Um, is it Rock the Boat? Van McCroy. I, I assume I, I, I'm, I'm gonna have so. to Google this or embarrass myself. Um, I love me disco music as well. Uh, yeah, so this is a disco theme. It is. Um, and some of the lyrics are Marlo. Oh, ex- I, I must apologise for the interruption. Van McCoy wrote the hustle. Okay. Do the hustle. Do, so, do, do, so there's do, absolutely do, 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 no excuse for this disaster. Or no. Um. Yeah, the, some of the lyrics are Marlo, the female answer to Apollo. <laughs> Which 
makes no kind of sense. No. Okay. Like the whole song is just fucking. It is just Van McCoy talking about how amazing Mae West is. Yeah, essentially. And <laughs> just Marlowe. I mean... A song that would have had her approval, obviously. Um, she always had the juice, but now she's got the peach. I mean, oh, sorry, wrong Marley. It's, it's... It's awful. It's such a bad song. It is really bad. Um, a lot of the verse is incoherent. <laughs> um, the only memorable part is Marlo, the female answer to <laughs> Apollo, which doesn't quite rhyme and also really doesn't make any sense. And, uh, Apollo's... The god of something, isn't he? Yeah. Um, in Greek mythology, um, the, the the god of blonde bombshells, maybe. Maybe. The the god of double uh, entendres, maybe. <laughs> um, then that would work. Another news reporter tells us the same thing again when they arrive at, um, at the hotel, as well as informing us that the hotel is also the location in a bizarre series of events. Uh, of an international conference where leaders have come together to resolve tensions and problems that threaten the survival of the world. Yes, that's right. This Mae West musical about her getting married revolves around world leaders having an argument. Yeah. It's not specified what the vote is about, or, no. or I missed it. No, it's not. It's not. Whatever, whatever the vote is about, it's never specified. Um, but it's integra- integral to the future of humanity. And I just put, oh, fucking hell. Um, <laughs> we're introduced to Marlowe's assistant for many years, yeah. Dan Turner, played by Don DeLuise, who I'm a little confused. I think it's Don DeLuise's shtick mm-hmm. um, that he plays characters who could potentially be read as queer. Yeah. Or at very least camp. Yeah. Um, which I thought this character was. But then there's also moments where he seems to be in love with... That's a running theme for our yeah. But I feel like, and I kind of wish they would have just done it, because it would have been hilarious, um, him being gay, but (laughs) straight just for (laughs) Marlowe. Yeah. (laughs) Like, not turning a gay man straight, but literally... (laughs) He, he loves Marlowe. <laughs> is obsessed yeah, with her and it, writes it, her poems and shit. It would have been more coherent than whatever. He sings ha- a song about do. loving her though, doesn't he? He does. Um, he's trying to get all the plants in place for Marlowe whilst being interviewed by a sports reporter. Uh, and he informs one guy to remove a certain plant because it sucks up oxygen and Marlowe's going to need all the oxygen she can get tonight. Breathe through that nose. Uh Dan is upset that uh, this marriage has interrupted the filming of Marlowe's new film. Dan also tells the reporter that Marlowe likes short marriages and long honeymoons. Yes. <laughs> Marlowe and Sir Michael arrive and the adoring crowd just cannot contain themselves. Um, yeah, Mr Chambers, uh, played by Walter Pigeon... Uh, he's trying to call the world leaders meeting to order, but they're just too interested in trying to uh, catch a glimpse of Marlowe. <laughs> As they enter the lobby, um, Marlowe, now Lady Barrington, and her husband, uh, who is a knight, uh, are swarmed by admirers and reporters. And uh, Marlowe is asked 
Do your fans prefer you when you're married or single? To which she says, Oh, they like me any way they can get me. <laughs> and, and the other one says, You get a lot of proposals from your male fans. And she says, Yeah, and what they propose is nobody's business. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. Yeah. The forced laughter from oh. the extras <laughs> is cringe-inducing. It is like that moment on Real Housewives, uh, the series we started watching when uh, they were talking to that guy that tried to sue. Um, that, that one was talking to that guy oh, tried to sue. Yeah. He did that false laugh. Yes. Um, it was OC, and it was Heather Dubrow and Terry Dubrow and that woman who I can't remember her name. Um, she was friends with them, but, um, she'd sued them years and years ago. <laughs> At least she didn't go through with it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, she, but she is, like, having a meltdown. She's in tears. She's having a terrible time. Her big secrets come out. She's so regretful. Um, and they're just laughing in her face. <laughs> but that's exactly what they all sound like in this hotel lobby. They're all like, <laughs> Like, it's so put on. It's. <laughs> Which is really cringy. Not as cringy, though, as the Hooray Hollywood number that follows. Yeah, we're on a segue um, where someone asks, does you getting married mean you're giving up on Hollywood? Which is a dumb question. She's been married six fucking times already and she's still a big Hollywood star. <laughs> yeah. so she says, me? Give up on Hollywood? Oh, you're kidding. And yeah, and then we launch into Hooray for Hollywood. Some random guy goes, Hooray for Hollywood. And then he, Hollywood, hooray for Hollywood, which I'm assuming is like an old tune that um, they've just put hooray I, I, for Hollywood yeah. over. I'm sure every song on the soundtracks are called that. Isn't um, there a Simpsons song where, isn't Mark Hamill doing some sort of theatre show based on Star Wars? It's like Star Wars, uh, maybe, something like there that. You go. Oh shit. Find it, um, and let me know, please, people. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's it's campus tits. <laughs> Why am I saying people like case? Co- <laughs> Hello, people. <laughs> it's case cooking here. <laughs> YouTuber, we, we there's not enough time in the day to. There's not enough. We ain't got. We can have an old um, episode on case cooking. Yeah, it's it's campus tits, and almost every member of staff is a professional flamboyant dancer and singer. Um, oh, it's awful! It really is. Really, really awful. The best thing about it is all the mustaches knocking about. Um, it's definitely the seventies. Um, during the song, someone says to Marlo, oh, "How do you like Big Ben, Marlo?" To which she says, "Oh, I don't know. I've never met the gentleman." <laughs> uh, my favorite follows is, that, "How do you like it in London, Marlo?" <laughs> oh, I like it anywhere. <laughs> oh. Like, can I this just, is her entire dialogue about the film. Can I just say, we've been watching a lot of Mae West films recently. Um, she didn't do that many overall. No, she did 12. Oh yeah, she did 12. Uh, mainly in the 30s and 40s. Um, Alaska, when she won Snatch Game, All-Stars Season 2, RuPaul's Drag Race All-Stars uh, Season 2, when she won Snatch Game as Mae West, that was hilarious. Yeah. Watching the films, it was genius. Yeah. It was really, really clever. Mm-hmm. And 
having now seen... We were aware of Mae West. We were aware uh-huh. of her most famous lines and such. Um, but that Snatch Game performance was amazing. Yeah. Um, and you you sort of, you like, you watch the films and you're like, wow, Alaska really got it right. Yeah. In the earlier films, um, sometimes she has a little bit of dialogue in between to move the story along. This entire film, every line of dialogue is an innuendo. It is, yeah. Um, like... Constant. It is overkill, and and I am not complaining because I was thoroughly entertained. Um, but seriously, that's all she does for the entire film. And when she sings, even when she's singing, she's fucking talking. And most of the songs are just leaning to something dirty. It's uh, yeah, it's amazing. She, it's I think mainly because she couldn't learn the lines. <laughs> no. So it's just a quippy, a quippy one liner was easier <laughs> to feed her through the. Uh, through the walkie-talkie or whatever the fuck it was. <laughs> they head into the suite as we finally finish that awful fucking musical number. Um, and uh, Michael says, I feel like the first man who landed on the moon. To which she says, which might be my favourite line of dialogue in the film. Oh, in a few minutes you're going to be the first man who landed on Venus. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, let's be clear. <laughs> the main plot of the film is... Uh, Timothy Dalton and Mae West want to shag <laughs> and everything else going on around them prevents them from getting it on on their wedding night. Yeah, there's constant interruptions starting with Dan asking to borrow Marlo for interviews. Yes. Um, Dan is the biggest culprit of getting in the way of Mae West getting railed. Um, <laughs> the f- one funny thing, though, is uh, Sir Michael, when he says... Oh, I would have carried you over the threshold. And uh, she's like, oh, no, you know, don't bother. I'd rather you shag me instead. Uh, shouldn't say that. I'm paraphrasing. Um, but I was like, oh, um, Mae West has always been voluptuous. Yeah. Um, and I'm not saying that she's a big woman. Um, but Timothy Dalton, I don't think would have been able to have carried an 84-year-old woman over the threshold <laughs> without the fear of dropping her and killing Mae West. <laughs> I, I'd have loved to have seen him carrying her. But, you know. um, I think I don't think the insurers would have allowed that. The sandbags wouldn't have <laughs> The helped. sandbags. The sa- yeah, oh, God, fucking hell. Could you imagine? Um, yeah, so Dan wants to borrow Marlowe for interviews. Um, a shady guy with sunglasses in a lift tells Dan that Marlowe has to do something for Uncle Sam and she can't refuse. Yeah, I got really confused by this. I don't know what the fuck she needed to do. Um, Dan and Sir Michael bicker over Marlowe's work responsibilities. Uh, Marlowe is recording notes on a cassette recorder. <laughs> in her first costume change. In her first costume change. Um, she's recording it for her memoirs. <laughs> as she stares at Lord knows what. She's staring somewhere in the distance. No idea. She's talking to this uh, cassette recorder. As she lounges sexily on the bed. Um, which is which makes a lovely visual... But I don't think it was particularly comfortable. No. Like, if you're recording your memoirs, which are going to take a while, uh, it's not the most comfortable way to lounge in a full evening gown. <laughs> it doesn't take too long. Um, she no. Says, she talks about her new husband. She's like, oh, it's not the men in my life that counts. It's the life in my man. 
Sounds, yeah, she listens honestly, back to a recording straight away, yeah, doesn't she? She finishes recording, then she starts listening back straight away. Um, obviously, what we do here at the Horror Culture Show podcast. Yeah. Um, <laughs> she says she'll talk about whether he's worth it or not after they've had sex. Uh, but she starts listening back uh, and starts listening to all the exposition about her past husbands, including one that they called Sexy Alexi, a Russian diplomat played by Tony Curtis who we see is with the world leaders. Uh, and then there was husband number four, director Laszlo Karani, played by Ringo Starr. Oh. Yeah. Um, also known as Son of Lubritz. <laughs> uh, which, who was a famous director in, in the 30s. But she says, uh, oh, at least it sounds like what they called him. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't do it justice. It's a funny joke. I didn't do it justice. I'm sorry. Um... Yeah, Rona Barrett, who apparently is a real... Uh, she is a real gay, gay Weathers. A real gay Weathers. Real gay gay Weathers. Um, <laughs> she's covering the wedding. Everyone's covering the wedding. She's covering the wedding on TV, and despite me struggling to understand what she's saying, <laughs> I get the idea that she's reading Marlowe and Sir Michael to Phil. She is, yes. Uh, not about the age difference, though. One thing that is not brought up at all in this film is the age difference and yes. it must have, what must have been 50 years at least yeah on set there was definitely a clause that we don't mention we the don't age mention yet. the age it's the one thing <laughs> that is not mentioned so we get the impression that may west is not playing an 84 year old woman yeah that she's playing a much younger woman some someone um, on another review reckons that she's supposed to be playing someone in her twenties. I'm not sure how true that is. Mm. I hope it's true. Yeah. That's hilarious <laughs> if it's true. Um, but it's she. She's not reading them for the age difference. No. She's reading them for um, Marlo's previous marriages, and. Yeah. Potential easy virtue. <laughs> yeah, Michael says, oh, if she was a chap, I'd punch her in the nose. Yeah. Um, so Dan encourages him to go and sort her out. Yeah, yeah. So Marlo's like, oh, where's Michael? And uh, Dan's like, oh, he's downstairs trying to save your reputation. And she says, oh, well, he should be up here trying to ruin it. <laughs> yeah. That is fucking funny. That is funny. And that's why, despite this being a big bag of shit, <laughs> this is still incredibly watchable. <laughs> because that is funny. Yeah, this is the first Mae West film we watched um, way back when. And oh, I don't know about you, do you watch any of it? Oh, Myra Breckenridge. Myra Breckenridge, I think. Yeah, this is the first film I ever saw for, for Mae West. It certainly set that bar really high. Yeah, and th- some of her jokes are recycled from, yeah. older, uh, from older films. But it... That's funny. I mean, I appreciate that sense of humour. Oh, yeah, yeah. You know, not everybody does. And I don't think in 1977, everyone got that. I mean, it's been 40 years since, you know, her heyday. You know, she makes all these innuendos and it's very saucy, um, which was very progressive for the 1930s. But then, you know, by 1977, Deep Throat, had happened yeah you know the art house pornography or you know where people could go to the cinema and watch very adult orientated films uh with great ease 
that had all happened. So this is very, very tame. Yeah, it's a PG. It's a PG. This is a PG. You know, the, the Hayes Code wouldn't... And, and it's some of the jokes are a bit saucier than they were in the 30s. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of them essentially refer to ejaculation. But... <laughs> But by 1977, this is mild. You it know, is. your granny wouldn't even blush no. at these jokes. Um, but I love those kind of jokes. Yeah. I love that classic Hollywood kind of humour. Um, but I can see why the film failed the way it did. Yeah. Uh, Dan asks Marlo to go and sort out the world leader stuff. Uh, they have a conversation about her history of politics, complete with a newspaper's montage. Yeah. Sexy. Yeah. Well, she's exactly the same age. Yeah. Probably like, all like of them. She's had six husbands throughout the years. Um, but looks exactly the same age in every um, one of the photos. Sexy Alexi has said that he'd be willing to sort out things with the United States as long as he has one last romantic night with Marlo. And Marlo, just married, as like, yeah, sure, I'll do it. Okay, didn't take uh, didn't take much convincing. <laughs> uh, Dan demands Marlow to give him her memoirs so he can destroy him, uh, because of the information it includes about him, her, and all the men she slept with. She gives. And she agrees. She's like, yeah, and Ashley. Yeah, no, she's like, like shred it. She gives him one tape. Now, there's clearly a lot of memoirs. Yeah. If they're talking about all that stuff, she gives him one tape. And that's what I remember. Remember that later on. Um, and he, he gets rid of it. Rona interviews Michael. Um, yeah, okay. so Michael goes to defend his wife's honour yeah. with nosy bitch Rona Barrett. He does. But the dumb fuck manages to get his wives crossed <laughs> and comes out as gay. Yes, we have a coming out scene. Um, by accident. Well, it's... it's I, I really don't understand how the conversation gets to this. He's talking about his time at Eton. Um, and when he put his cock in a... Uh, pig's a dead pig's <laughs> mouth oh no wait no that was david cameron uh <laughs> based on his entire life around Timothy Dalton this is film. very this is very this is he's giving tory energy he to be fair. Tory very tory energy um but yeah he, he's something like scrum and sports and playing with the rugby team yeah so she says are you gay <laughs> <laughs> and he's like oh I'm very gay I'm very gay <laughs> as in like the Flintstones yes because this is someone written by someone who uh, was prominent in the 30s and 40s yeah um. yeah where, where <laughs> the, the whole gay I suppose it is it's a weird one because if an older character had said yes of course I'm gay yeah you know I'm very happy um, it would make more sense than a yeah. younger guy saying it because he would know that there's two ways yeah. to interpret uh-huh. him saying he's gay. Um, so it's just, it comes across as just a bit stupid. This really. is a recurring theme in Mae West's films. All of the men are fucking morons. Yeah. They're all so stupid. <laughs> yeah. And the only thing they can do successfully is fall in love with her. Yes. And some of them can't even do that. And get married really quick. Yeah. There was one thing about classic Hollywood films, and it's really prominent in Mae West. <laughs> People get married at a drop of a hat. Yeah. And I have a theory why. It's because the films had to um, not depict sex before marriage. 
Yeah, but Mae West's films were all about sex. The end goal was Mae West, you know, for these men. So they had to get married. Yeah. Or the whole point of the film didn't work. I mean, there's no excuse for the rest of classic Hollywood. um, Where, you know, someone could just meet someone like... Hitchcock films. There's a lot of people getting married really quick. Meet someone like, oh, hi, oh, hi, oh, marry me. Yeah, sure. That's literally what it's like. I suppose life expectancies were a little (laughs) shorter than... Um, he goes back to uh, the suite and uh, sings Love Will Keep Us Together to, uh, to, to Marlowe. Whilst... That's awful, awful. <laughs> he... okay, this is the cover. This is Tone a... deaf. This is another cover. Um, the original lyrics uh, were Young and beautiful, your looks will fade one day. Timothy Dalton sings Young and beautiful, your looks will stay forever. <laughs> <laughs> um... <laughs> It's not as fun as the original. No. It's, yeah. And But the whole time, he's singing it to her, and she literally just stands there, shaking her hips, looking at the ceiling, and saying, oh, stop, stop, oh, whatever. She just makes stop. random noises as well. Like, oh, oh, stop. It's a Captain and Tennille song, isn't it? Love yeah. will keep us together. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's awful. <laughs> really fucking awful. Yeah. Yeah. In say it a bizarre massively <laughs> bizarre series of events. The Who's drummer, Keith Moon, um my favourite drummer of all time, by the way, if anyone wants to know. One of the greatest drummers of all time. Incredible. As a person, uh we get to see some of his personality here because he is not acting. He launches himself through this room, um, Coked off his face. Absolutely. This is what cocaine looks like. Um, <laughs> this is all he was paid with. I don't think he knew he was in a film. They just placed him there. He's playing a dress designer. And a very, very camp dress designer. Um, who gets Marlo to do a fashion show for him. Yes. So he's... So obviously her new film is going into pre-production. Um, despite her you know, about to go on a honeymoon. So Marlowe's dress designer, who they seem to be best friends, yet he wasn't invited to the wedding, seemingly. Yeah. Played by Keith Moon. <laughs> this is your brain on drugs. Um, <laughs> he says, how, oh, uh, Marlowe says, oh, how long will this take? He says, well, how long does it take you to undress? <laughs> oh, you're looking at the world's champion. <laughs> She, yeah, she, she goes through some amazing outfits. It's like the uh, the fashion montage in the first Sex and the City film. Oh, uh, my God, it's absolutely. <laughs> and then with every... Oh, my God. That's exactly what they're going for. It absolutely is. Um, because after every change, it's like a quip. <laughs> or a little, like, oh. <laughs> she repeats one of her famous lines. Like, oh, when I'm good, I'm very good. But when I'm bad, I'm better. Oh. Yeah, love that line. My favourite though, I don't know if yours if it's your favourite as well. I'm the girl that works at Paramount all day <laughs> and fucks all night. <laughs> Dirty bitch. Um, Keith Moon She serves some looks though. One thing that is consistent yeah. for all of Mae West's films, all the ones we've watched, um the the good, the bad and the ugly, um, she serves looks yeah. like no one else. Uh-huh. 
Keith Moon demands a gold dress uh, from her, and he does this play. Yeah, I have a gold dress. Oh, gold, gold, gold dress. Oh, give me a gold dress. Oh, yeah, I have a fucking gold dress. Give me a gold dress. Oh, yeah, give me a gold dress. Give me a gold dress. Oh, yeah. And like, he is just pulling stupid faces. He looks like he's about to fucking explode or murder someone. I honestly, I, I assume they had to drag him off set after the scene. <laughs> he is uncontrollable. It's fucking ridiculous. Do you know how this film would have really worked? <laughs> if, if she joined the Who? If they'd done it like Tommy. Yeah. Because Tommy is kind of similar, where it's here, there, and everywhere, and it doesn't quite make sense. If they'd made film, this right? into a rock... Yeah, of course. <laughs> but if they'd made this into a rock opera, yeah. and Mae West was played by Anne-Margaret, that would have really worked. <laughs> Um, I, I really hope they do something like that if they do a Mae West biopic uh, cast Natasha Leone in the lead role and just make it a fucking musical just fucking weird as fuck like like Alvis but turned up to 11 like yeah it needs to be weird flamboyant I feel like there's so many biopics mm. that they need to do something new yeah Re- and I think Mae West could be a good one yeah. to just really go out there and yeah. just have fun with it. Um, Dan goes to the kitchen. Yeah, in a sour series of events. To get rid of the tape. And the British chef is horrified at the chefs of the world leaders bringing their <laughs> own cuisine and wanting to own, uh, wanting to honour their own traditions. Yeah, he is... <laughs> he's a right sour person. He's racist as fuck. He, um... He chases Dan out of the kitchen with a knife when he says he just wants a good old ha- American hamburger. But then he begins attacking begins attacking some of the world leaders who are now in the kitchen, yelling out racial slurs. No, their own chefs. Oh, they're, they're their chefs. own chefs. chefs. So they've brought their own chefs. Yeah, so he starts yelling out racial slurs at them uh, whilst an Asian man eats a ramen while stereotypical Chinese music plays on the soundtrack. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. There's not really much to say. No. It's you know, the lowest form of humour. Mm-hmm. It's not funny. Um, I mean, that's a flag shagger. Yeah. That's a flag. There we go. That's a flag Prime shagger. example. The chef. Um, Keith Moon leaves Marlowe's suite whilst the politicians are all talking shit at the conference. Um, Dan interrupts Michael. Oh, yeah, I take it back. Ringo Starr's not the worst thing about this film. All the world leader shit is the worst thing about this film. Makes absolutely no sense whatsoever. The scenes where they're just talking and it just sounds like words. It's just ridiculous. It's just a load of shit. Uh, Dan puts the tape in the oven to dispose of it. Yeah. That's going to come up later. Um, Sir Michael questions Marlo on her previous marriages. And she says, marriages are like a good book. All the best bits are between the... Oh, I admit, I fucked that up. I fucked that up, I'm sorry. Oh, marriages are like a good book. All the best bits are between the covers. Oh. <laughs> she doesn't necessarily say it like this. She does, I though. She feel does. like I have to put... Oh. This, yeah, I've never heard so many owls in one film. Oh. Um, yeah, Dan interrupts them again uh, to tell Michael that Rona has told the newspapers that he's gay. So he leaves to go set her straight, to which Marlo says, You're the one who needs to be straight, honey. Oh. <laughs> um, in another hilarious bit of 70s humour, Dan and Sir Michael never actually use the word gay. 
using only hand gestures. <laughs> Talking, they're, they're acting like uh, a middle-aged aunt at a barbecue. Is he a yeah, bit, it's a difficult he... on the podcast, but it's like, is he a bit... Mm. Yeah, bend the hand a bit. Is he a bit... Ooh, bend, yeah. a bit sh- shake a little to the left and right. <laughs> Uh, Dan performs honey pie to a cardboard cutout of Marlowe. Oh, is that your wrist or you're not pleased to see me? <laughs> Dan performs honey pie and the worst musical number in the film to uh, a cardboard cutout of Marlowe while she leaves to go and see sexy Alexi. Oh yeah, I did put it's fucking atrocious. She bumps into another ex. I don't know if this one was a husband though. No, because she worked... On behalf of the FBI. Yeah. So this is the FBI agent that Dan has been talking to. Oh, oh was that him? Yes. So they oh, meet... Oh, disguise is great. Even I didn't recognise him. So he's the one they've been talk- that Dan has been talking to. They meet in the elevator. <laughs> but the camera doesn't zoom in enough <laughs> to establish that the camera uh. is in the elevator. <laughs> so the doors don't close. No. So it looks like this FBI agent just walks in, has a little conversation with Marlo, and then walks out. Well, they don't press any buttons. They don't. <laughs> it, no buttons are pressed. The doors don't close. There's no suggestion <laughs> that the elevator has moved. And she's like, oh, see you, hun. Oh, bye. <laughs> um, the FBI agent, during this conversation... Um, very protective of Marlo, says, uh, let me know if he gives you a hard time. To which Marlo replies, <laughs> as you've guessed it, oh, I'm planning on it. <laughs> then take it easy. She's like, oh, I always take it easy. <laughs> um, so Michael puts his foot in it again, trying to convince the reporters that he's a man's man, but also a woman's man. Um he suggests that whilst rowing at Oxford, Tory Energy, um, <laughs> he coxed the whole crew in 69. Yeah, you and me both. Um, he's essentially, and it's a running joke, no gay man in history has ever played sports or has ever been interested in sports. So therefore, if he establishes himself as a sportsman... He definitely can't be gay. Yeah. There we are. Um, That's not to say I'm in any way sports orientated. Wow. But don't tell me I'm not allowed to be. (laughs) Marlo arrives at uh, Sexy Alexi's suite. He's ordered champagne and cake for them, but she notices that one of her memoir tapes is inside the cake and tells him not to eat it because he's a good-looking guy who could get flabby. But it's the only tape. Yeah. You said one of. And yeah, this is what I mean. So yeah, it's the only They're tape. so desperate to get hold of this tape and destroy yeah. it and whatever. What about all the other ones? <laughs> there has to be other tapes. Yeah. There's no There's way all one. of her memoirs on this one tape. It's, yeah. Well, maybe she did not have led, led an exciting life. He doesn't enjoy being fat shamed, so uh, he throws the cake out the window and a dog starts eating it. <laughs> <laughs> um... So Michael sees Marlo and Alexi getting close on the balcony. It does. Um, the tape ends up on a javelin for some reason. <laughs> so there's this sports team in town, like the Olympic athletic sports team. I'm not really sure who it is. Um, they end up in town. They're, they're absolutely giving me the YMCA scene mm-hmm. from Can't Stop the Music. They are, yeah. 
um, one of our early podcast episodes, if you haven't heard it. Um, but the tape ends up on a javelin. Um, so this tape's been baked and been stabbed by a javelin. Marlo sees that this has happened and leaves Alexi after singing a song about... After I'm gone... Well, he's like, oh, no, gone. don't go, with his fucking terrible Russian accent. And, um... <laughs> <laughs> my terrible Russian Better than yours. <laughs> um, and she's like, before she goes, oh, fine. She's like, oh, after you've gone. Oh, after you've gone. And she's like, she starts singing to him. And then after that, he's satisfied. He's like, oh, what a woman. Like, That's all you wanted from her? It's, to sing to you? <laughs> it's literally about her being the best gal he's ever had. Um... <laughs> Without really, it's like, he's, he's quite, the, the song occurs because he says, what do I do after you've gone? <laughs> the song doesn't really answer the question. No, because after he's gone, like, it switches it around. It's like, oh, after you've gone. Oh, or, he's not going anywhere. <laughs> and it doesn't really identify for the audience what exactly the purpose of their meeting was. <laughs> Because these songs are covers, they're not lyrics written for the film. No. And as much as she likes to change them around, they still don't make sense. It's, yeah. Um, I, I have to say props to Tony Curtis because he, he's putting in a performance. He's trying. It's not his best performance, but he's giving it a good go. Yeah. And that's all I can say. Um, Marlo goes to the gym <laughs> and meets with all the muscly athletes in an effort to get her tape back. <laughs> now, I know this is Gary's favourite scene in the it film. Is, it is. So I'm going to allow you to, uh. Tell the listeners exactly how this yeah, goes she, down. Yeah, she admires everyone's muscles, um, delivers a few quips here and there, uh, and is eventually introduced to uh, Ricky, the mascot. It's his 21st birthday. Where do we think that's going? Oh, yeah, they take a picture with her um, where she comments on their uh, biceps. Someone's moving his uh, pecs. And she's like, oh, you're trying to give me competition? Yeah. <laughs> My favourite is, uh, oh, what do you do? And he's like, I'm a pole vower. Oh, aren't we all? <laughs> <laughs> um, she's just there to get a cassette. The cassette's in plain sight. Yeah. Okay. Um, it's on the trampoline. It's on the trampoline. She's within reaching distance. She could just grab it. It's a pink tape. It obviously belongs to her. It's 70s, you know, genders based on colours. Um, you could have just grabbed it. It's my cassette tape. No questions asked. Leave. Yeah. They Later on, they act like they knew she was there for the cassette anyway. No one hands it to her. Yeah. Um, <laughs> instead, uh, she's like, oh, you're a big boy now. And he's like, oh, well, not as big as everyone else here. She's like, oh, well, that's not the size that matters. That's what you do with it. So then she starts singing Happy Birthday 21. Uh, <laughs> I mean, yeah. It's weird. <laughs> she is barely moving. The hips are shaking, but the rest of us barely moving. Um, but she's, like, hovering around the gym. Um, like a fucking ghost. And... The guy's hair <laughs> looked like someone has died on his head. Yeah. <laughs> um, everyone, there's some backing dancing going on. Some people are having a little uh, a little groove in the background. Um, there's some backing vocals in there. <laughs> More than any other scene, she definitely looks like she can't see for she, shit. Yeah, she has no idea what this 21-year-old looks like. No. Um, yeah, it, it it goes on and on. Um, I wish it went on longer. It is <laughs> one of the campus things I've ever seen. Uh, they they look at her like, like she's their nan. 
Everyone's looking like, oh, bless her. Yeah, that's it. You, you carry on singing about sucking you my dick. Lovely oh. song. Um, <laughs> now, unfortunately, the original version ends with, oh, blow out your candles or I'll blow out for you. This version does not. Oh. Um, but it does end with someone jumping on the trampoline and uh, the memoir tape flying into a lion statue's mouth, to which she says, oh, everything goes up for Marlowe. <laughs> And everyone at gym's like, ah! <laughs> but literally, so the roof is open for some reason. Um, yes. And it goes flying up, like, to the top of the building, <laughs> into a lion statue's mouth. A nod to her best film, where she shoves her head in a lion's mouth. Yes. Uh, I'm no angel. Uh, yeah, but she also, not being able to see for shit clearly sees this tape go into this lion's <laughs> mouth 600 feet in the air. <laughs> you know, but there we go. But she just lets it go. She doesn't say anything. She just lets it go. Yeah. Goes back to her room and Laszlo's in there, played by Ringo Starr. But it, it's literally like, oh, okay, that happened. Bye. Bye, guys. Um, <laughs> no one questions what the fuck is going on. Laszlo and his entire crew have set up in her room, in her suite. Don't know how they got in there. Um, he, Michael does various exercises with the athlete team uh, whilst they tell him about the cassette going into the lion's mouth. Yeah, so so Michael goes to the gym to be surrounded by half-naked muscle men and lift weights and do some boxing to prove his heterosexuality. <laughs> right. Um, they're doing some sort of screen test in Marlowe's room. Yeah. Um, the much younger actor playing her love interest says, oh, Marlo, you know, we were in a film together. She says, oh, I remember you. He goes, yeah, I had I had a small role, but it grew by the end. <laughs> Thanks to you, Marlo. Yes. Um... To much hilarity, Sir Michael walks in on the screen test mm-hmm. uh, after a real quick change. I yeah. feel like the editing isn't quite right no. with this one. No. Um, because he's wearing a completely different outfit. Yeah, but scenes just end. Things yeah. just end in this film. Nothing comes together right. It, it doesn't make any sense. He walks in on the screen test and hilariously confuses the romantic scene to be real. Hilarious. Never seen before. Really groundbreaking <laughs> humour. Um, Alexi agrees to whatever the vote was in the world leader meeting. Yeah. Uh, humanity for now is saved. All thanks to that song. <laughs> Sir Michael and Marlo prepare to finally get it on, but Sir Michael is knackered and falls asleep. He does. He does. Pull the muscle in his back. Pulls the muscle in his back and falls asleep. Um, I would say that's weird for a younger actor, but as someone who's 30 years of age has recently pulled the muscle in his back, it's not weird, it's relatable. Um, He also uh, punches uh, the actor before this as well. The uh, the actor that was uh, about to kiss Marlowe for the screen test, just to prove, you know, he's a superior male, he's the alpha male. He's so straight. He is. is. Um, do you know what this film needs? What's that? Another ex-husband. Oh, yeah. And we get one. One that's back from the dead. One that's back from Uh the dead. Marlowe's ex-husband, husband husband number five, Vance. Vance Norton, he's a gangster, played by George Hamilton. Uh, yeah, another ex-husband, and he's demanding to talk to Marlo. He is wearing 
a party city slash <laughs> love you babe. Yeah, I thought you said the costume designs are the best thing about this film. This is so cheap. I said Myra Breckenridge. Oh yeah, that's true. Thank you. That's true. Um, it's definitely giving twenty dollars at party city <laughs> mafia outfit. Yeah. Um, definitely. He's back from the dead. Marlo struggles to remember if she divorced Vance or not. <laughs> well, when he walks in, she's like, oh, is that a gun in your pocket or are you just glad to see me? Yeah. One of the famous lines. Um, she can't figure it out if she divorced him before no. his death or not. Surely if he was legally <laughs> dead, then she didn't need to divorce him, but whatever. Um, the answer should be on the tape, though. Yes. Because she remembered it whilst recording her memoirs not too long ago, <laughs> but suddenly can't remember it now. Right. Yeah. Uh, so Michael awakens, and for some unknown reason... <laughs> yeah, this was meant to be way this, earlier in the film. <laughs> yeah, I've, yeah. He climbs the building looking for the tape himself. <laughs> For no apparent reason, because he's not aware of the tape's location or what's on the tape. Well, he's a secret agent. Spoiler alert. So maybe... maybe. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Vance and Dan go to the rooftop themselves to find the tape. And Dan hilariously hangs over the edge with a pigeon. Yes. Uh, Dan gives up, though, and just agrees with Vance that he's still married to Marlowe. Mm-hmm. Just says, whatever, you know, whatever you say, Vance, is the truth. So Michael overhears this, grabs the tape from yeah. the lion's mouth, and falls into the gym and onto the trampoline. It's then revealed that he's working for the Secret Service, and he gives the tape to the... The racist chef. Bigoted chef. Yeah. The xenophobic chef. Um, who apparently is also part of the secret service. Well, there, there we are. There we I go. don't think I need to explain <laughs> how representative of British culture <laughs> that is. Um, the world leaders argue. Oh fucking hell! The world leaders argue over food. Yeah. So they've been like, oh, now it's all been agreed. We can share in culinary delights from all over the world. Uh, they struggle mm-hmm. to enjoy each other's food and so argue over it. All except for the Jimmy Carter lookalike, who is happy eating his peanuts. Yes. Lovely. Because the only memorable thing about Jimmy Carter was the peanuts farming, I think. And, and, as, and, and that sounds sarcastic, but as a, as a British person, I think that maybe is all that he's remembered for here. Michael... Uh... Is, is introduced to Vance shortly after Vance tells uh, Marlo how much he wants to kill Michael. And Marlo doesn't even try stopping him. She smiles, don't oh, she? Oh, well, go on then. It's funny. <laughs> oh, but I'll have to divorce him first. <laughs> uh, yeah, so Marlo explains to Michael how she thought that Vance was dead. The racist chef... Uh, chef? The racist chef brings a cake to the world leaders... And they find Marlowe's tape in it from when Michael snuck it in there earlier. It's Alexi's birthday cake, isn't it? Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, she sings a rousing rendition of Happy Birthday 52. 
to Tony Curtis. I wish. Begrudgingly. This is, uh, it's broadcast on the news. For and, some reason. Uh, <laughs> everything is broadcast on the news in this film. Everything. Marlo spots it. Um, so she goes to the conference and asks them to give it a tape, but they insist on listening to it. For some reason, no one explains what's no. on the tape. <laughs> It could just be her singing <laughs> on there. Just turn it on. Oh, tonight's tonight. Happy birthday, 21. Um, Vance holds everyone at gunpoint and demands the tape so they give it to him. In a fucking bizarre series of events. It, it, I really... I, I don't know what the director of this film was thinking. I don't know what Mae West was thinking when she wrote this. He's interrupted by budget Marlon Brando. Um, in the Godfather yeah. role. <laughs> oh, do you know what was popular five years ago? <laughs> Vance gets on his knees and speaks Italian to him without any subtitles. Um, but at one point, to great hilarity, he does say cappuccino. Um, yeah. Budget Brando just refuses to look at him. This is... Uh, Brando, just, just to uh, clarify, this is Brando as Vito Corleone yeah. in The Godfather. Mm-hmm. Uh, Budget Brando... Did see what they did? Yeah. He demands that they play the tape. Yes. So they do. Fortunately, <laughs> the tape is rewound to exactly where it needs to be. <laughs> and we hear Marlowe spilling the tea on all the politicians. Yeah. Um, she's revealing how they're all corrupt. <laughs> how she shagged them for information. And they're all laughing along. They're right? all laughing. <laughs> this is being broadcast on the news. Like, on they're the being news. exposed. Yeah. Like, and they all find it hilarious. And they're all laughing. Like, <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I committed war crimes. <laughs> and yeah. to celebrate this uh, this outing of their dodgy dealings. Well, it's also revealed that she... Div- she It's also revealed that she divorced Vance. She did, yes. Before he faked his death. And he literally... Disappears. He does. <laughs> yeah, Budget Brando's gone. No mention of him no, ever again. No. It's gone. She then performs Babyface. No, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I wrote it here. Marlo tells them that they need to get along or she's going to talk about what they don't want out. Yeah, even though, like, she's already... <laughs> it's already out. Let's talk about the husband. <laughs> she performs Babyface uh, for the world leaders. And they all sing back in vocals. Joe, how uh, awkward. The, the song literally goes, Oh, you've got the cutest baby face. Oh, that, that's literally how it goes. Yeah. And she's going up to these men, these really old men, who clearly are in their 60s, 70s. And she's like, Oh, you've got the cutest baby, baby face. face. They, they certainly do not. No. No one in that room has a baby face. Not even you, May. <laughs> Yeah, then they start singing it back at her, and it's like, come on, you, none of you believe this, right? <laughs> she does have a baby face. She had, she had it stolen off someone and sewed onto their skin. <laughs> uh, and when the song ends, she does her most famous line. Oh, why don't you come up and see me sometime? The yeah. sooner the better. Oh. And they're all like, ah! <laughs> Like, no, she's genuinely offering what you're laughing at. Yeah. In a bizarre series of events, just when you thought you couldn't get any more bizarre, she goes back to her room where Alice Cooper is waiting for her. Yes. With a note from Michael telling her he's leaving her because he thinks she's had one too many husbands. 
Yeah, so he's gone on to their boat for their honeymoon mm-hmm. without her. Um, Alice Cooper then proceeds to sing a song on the piano about how she's better off without him well, anyway. He's literally like, oh, well, I, I don't know what's in that note, but uh, don't worry about it. Well, oh, hang don't on, worry about what? It. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then he's literally like, oh, cheer up, Mae West, cheer up, Mae West, with a disco backbeat. Like, yeah. that's literally, and then she... It's like, one man's trash is another man's yeah. treasure. You're better off without him. On to the next one. <laughs> um... Fuck Alice Cooper's drag, though, because she goes to find Sir Michael anyway. Oh, my God. This scene is so awkward. Like, she's putting her hands all over him whilst he's performing. Yeah. You can see he is so uncomfortable. <laughs> um, the, the, the hotel staff are doing a choreographed dance routine in the background. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I mean, just seeing Alice Cooper doing this disco number is fucking weird. It's very um, weird. He walks around. Actually, he doesn't look like Alice Cooper. He doesn't. If if you hadn't have told, if we were just watching the film, we'd be like, oh, that guy kind of looks like Alice Cooper without <laughs> Not his even makeup that. on. <laughs> well, in Poison, he hasn't got his makeup on, has he? Well, he goes. Uh, he leaves the room. And he's like, Lady Barrington, Bon Voyage. Yeah, cause she checks out whilst uh, yeah. it's all going on. Like, Lady Barrington, Bon Voyage. Like, oh, likewise. I'm sure. <laughs> Um, Dan she's, shows up Yeah So as she's getting Into the elevator Dan sees her And tells her Firstly She has saved the world <laughs> And that is his Exact words You are the woman Of the hour You have saved the world <laughs> He then tells her That Sir Michael Is part of the Secret service Yeah Bigger than 007 Oh I didn't have The chance to take His measurements Oh <laughs> She then teleports into <laughs> Sir Michael's bed on the boat and they reconcile. Okay, she teleports onto his boat and then under the covers. How did she get in? In a new outfit. In a new outfit. She changes her outfit on the way. She's dressed for bed. And she sits there and she's like, Day 37. Oh, my new husband's on a boat and he's a secret agent. So, and, and literally, he's in the next room. Yeah. Like, there's nothing between them. It's there's like, no... surprise, surprise. Yeah. Like... <laughs> no, blind date. Blind date. Blind, blind date. date. Um, yeah, which is surprise, surprise. Um, yeah. What's, yeah. It, what's it called in America? Oh, um... It's in the match game or something. Yeah, something like yeah, that. Something like that. Um, yeah, like, literally, he's right there, and she's recording a memoir, but then he's like, uh, oh, turn me on, and she's like, I will, I will, oh, I will. And then he hears her. Yeah. She's talking at the same volume yeah. that she's just <laughs> been speaking at. You didn't know she was there. And then he walks into his bedroom, doesn't say to her, like, how the fuck did you get in my yacht? How did you get past me? <laughs> how did you just fall into my yacht? Unchanged. <laughs> but he says, you know... You've done more for your country than Paul Rouvier. Rivere. Rivere. And uh, she said, I'm looking forward to saying the same thing he said. The British are coming. Oh. <laughs> and that is the last line of dialogue in Mae West's final film. Yeah. The British are coming. Oh, the British are coming. Oh. <laughs> I think it exemplifies her career yeah um that that innuendo is the final line that she speaks in we, the film we do get end credits with shots of london and of course marlo's theme yes we do 
Um, um, and that is sextet. It is. Still not sure what a sextet is. Um, no. Um, I'm assuming it's her six husbands, the sextet. Maybe? Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah weird. I'm trying to find a word to describe it. A, a group of six people playing music or singing together. Oh, I see. So her six six husbands. Um, spelt differently, though. Spelt differently. I don't know why the extra T and E are on the end, but, you know, <laughs> who am I to judge? Um, I think it, like I said, it perfectly exemplifies oh, yeah. Mae West's career on screen. Mm-hmm. It's very formulaic to the kind of films that she did mm-hmm. um, with a very weird spin. <laughs> But it's very much men falling at the feet of Mae West. Yeah. That's what her career image was about. Um, Yes, she's 84, but still looks stunning. You know, at 84, can wear a dress like no one else. Um, It's it's weird. It's a weird... Honestly, it's it's not good. It's not good. It's not even close. It's um, not. It's it, it is badly written. The one-liners are the best part of the film. Probably still not the worst musical we've discussed on the podcast. No. It still gets to uh, see and double or from Justin Kelly. Yes. Yeah, that's true. Um, it is more akin to Can't Stop the Music. It is. But it's better because it's actually watchable um it's entertaining i would absolutely recommend watching it this this is the it's trash to piece it is it's trash to piece it makes no kind of sense Uh uh-huh but it's certainly entertaining so may west is entertaining in everything that she does yeah um and it's batshit crazy. It is. it is. Yeah, if if you are a fan of So Bad It's Good uh, films, then you, you have to watch this. Yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah, if you've already watched it, um, let us know on social media. We're Horrorcourt Trash over on Facebook and Instagram. Horrorcourt Trash on Twitter. fairly difficult to get a hold of. It though, is. It? it is. It, it, we got it off eBay. Um, and I, it, was, it wasn't the cheapest. DVD I've bought, really bare bones yeah. DVD, um, not the best quality. I think it was taken from a VHS. Mm-hmm. Um, it was on Prime Video for some, you know how Amazon Prime have like the weirdest films yeah. on them every so often. Um, but yeah, I I would recommend watching it. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, sorry, I interrupted you there. <laughs> I'm DelicGaz92 on Letterboxd, Gazmo205 on Instagram, and GazCruz92 on Twitter. I am ChrisBarker823 on Letterboxd and Instagram. And give us a rate, review, and subscribe on iTunes, a like and follow on everything else, and a rating on Spotify. Next week, we bring you the final episode in our current format. Episode 199. And keeping up with discussing Queens this month, we are discussing... Betty Davis in Wicked Stepmother. One of my favourite classic Hollywood actresses in her final film. Yeah. So excited to watch it. Yeah. (laughs) I know. Um, But really excited to watch it. I've never seen it before. 
Um, we could get another trash to piece, I feel. I think so. I think so. Yeah. Uh, yeah, we'll be discussing that next week. Yes. Yeah, and then changing things up a bit for the big changing 200. Changing things up a little bit. Yes. Um, but yeah, it'll be a great episode. Yes. Uh, so we will be back, same time, same place, next week. Bye. Bye.